So, you know, we know that the gold standard in research is a randomized controlled trial, right? And that's the way that you tell whether or not an intervention works or doesn't work. So in the BMJ recently, there was an article published that was testing out, hey, do parachutes even save lives and prevent injuries? You would think we don't need a randomized controlled trial, but we did one. So, uh, you know, they got some volunteers, healthy volunteers to jump out of an airplane with a backpack full of air or with a backpack full of parachute. Now the participants didn't know which one they got. They just had to jump out of the airplane and hope for the best, right? This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop. As always, I'm Rob Lawrence, and I have got some amazing guests for you today. And these are returning guests. They're getting returning guest medals or crowns or whatever whatever the award is. And I want first to hear well, there's a clue as to who's here. So first of all, welcome <laughs> Michael Tegman, my partner in crime, and uh, apparently I'm your comedy foil in other webinars, right? That's correct, my friend. And we have to bring some decorum to the uh, podcast. And so welcome the one and only Dr. Remley Crow. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk a little bit about research because it's one of our favorite subjects. And for those, this, of course, is a audio podcast, but I'm looking at Remley and she just made a huge heart when I said the word research. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, clearly the, the, the secret sign. We are all going to be together in July, the very end of July at Pinnacle, where we're going to be featuring in the Shark Tank, the innovations generator. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. And hopefully this will be a series of podcasts where I invite some of those sharks who are also... Uh, you know, members of our EMS Thought Police who are folk that are able to think about the future. And so we're going to have a few of those people on, but I've got to start somewhere. And why not start with these two amazing people that I'm looking at and you're listening to? Research. Let's talk about the evolution of research because we didn't really do it too well, did we, Remley? No. And I think the joke I always make when we talk about what is research is, you know, if we knew what we were doing, it would just be called search. <laughs> The iteration piece is really important. I will actually edit in the drum there. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think it's really important to understand that it's an iterative and evolving process. And so this is a natural part of research. In the early days in EMS, a lot of our research was conducted or based off of hospital settings. And that was the best evidence at the time. And same with a lot of EMS physicians were doing this research or even physicians who weren't necessarily involved with EMS. And now we're reaching a point where we've had things like the EMS research agenda for the future and several research priority documents that have been really helpful. And we are starting to train that cadre of EMS researchers. So people who have worked in the field as EMTs and paramedics and who are now trained in methods like epidemiology and able to answer research questions with the existing data and you know, data is my favorite four-letter word, so I'm sure we'll talk more about the evolution hang on, of data. Hang on, hang on a second. We agreed that you are the taco four-letter word, and I'm the data four-letter word. Does it get any better? Uh, well, you we're know, going to have data on tacos. Data well, on tacos. No, I have to remind us all that if we go to that certain uh, on the escalator with, you said we can have data on tacos. You're right. 
You sure can. I have graphs to prove it. We'll uh, we'll come back to Remley's data taco taco data for four letter <laughs> word graphs later. Mike, you are deeply involved in a lot of EMS research, and uh, you know how did you get your start in doing this sort of thing? You know when you when you mentioned the word evolution and research, I I immediately thought that you know some Cro-Magnon somewhere was trying to figure out the the best way to catch a gazelle on the Serengeti and uh, and tried one way and it didn't work and kept trying and trying and trying until it figured out a way to get lunch. And that was, you know, probably the beginnings of the evolution of research. Um, and, you know, which is which is really, you know, it's answering questions. It's it's creating knowledge where there are gaps in knowledge in our world. And uh, from the from the paramedic pre-hospital perspective, um, I'm old enough that uh, uh, I was started in this industry uh, when we had, you know, uh, build-a-boards and uh, mast pants and esophageal gastric uh, obstruction airways and all these other kind of crazy things um, that we, um, you know, basically subjected patients to without any uh, scientific foundation for their use. There was there was really um, uh, kind of a barren landscape with no evidence uh, for, for our profession. And, and there wasn't for a lot of the rest of emergency medicine as well either um, back in those days. And, and Baxter Lehrman, who was <coughs> studying and uh, working on his PhD, uh, did his uh, doctoral dissertation on building the pre-hospital care research forum and um, basically inspiring uh, pre-hospital care professionals, uh, physicians, paramedics, EMTs, nurses, uh, to, to learn how to do research and to actually do research. And they uh, created a, a, a short uh, workshop where people would actually produce uh, a research study in a very short period of time. Uh, Baxter traveled all over the place doing it. Uh, that is, that mantle is, what's that? Speed dating for research. Speed dating for research. I like that phrase. And Dave Page and, uh, and Dr. Remley Crow here have, uh, have picked up that mantle and, and continued doing it. And and turned up the volume. How many how many people did you have at your last gathering, Remley? Twenty one. Twenty one, which is weeks a, ago. a big group of, of research and and uh, and producing really interesting uh, looks at things um, by accessing uh, the, the power of some some pretty massive databases these days. Um, so it's a it's 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 important. It matters, and uh, the the one other. Um, piece that's that's important is that you know a lot of the things we've done over over the years in EMS which uh, on actual examination actually caused harm to patients you know one of the one of the vital aspects of research is is the protection of human subjects um, and making sure that things are done appropriately and ethically and managing people's privacy and institutional or investigational review boards the IRBs are really essential a component of, of doing this stuff right. I've been writing and publishing now in the US EMS market for over a decade, which makes me really frightened and feel really old. Years ago, though, I was standing at an expo, and I think it was Dave Page had a poster, um, the poster session, and there was only a couple of posters on it. This is way back when. And I'm thinking, this is a good idea. This is going to grow. And it did. And I'm delighted with that. But Remley, if I have an idea for research, I've got a hypothesis. What are the steps and the processes of going from that idea to getting my poster up at Expo or at some other or academically 
peer-reviewed paper published? What's the route map? Yeah, that's a great question. And the map's not always a straight shot. But the first thing that I would you know, have you do is go to the literature. And so go to something like Google Scholar or PubMed and take a look at what is already out there related to that question that you have and see if it has been answered. That doesn't mean that you just abandon the project and don't do it. See what population that was that study was done in and can you enhance it or can you test it out in a different population? Because like we said, repetition is a really important piece of research. So once you've kind of got the background on your question, the next step is to assemble a team. So I always tell people, I've never published a paper where it's just been my name on the paper. You need a good, solid team. So the first person you want to make sure that you have with you is a methodologist. And so the methodologist can be your statistician, but it also might be a separate person. But this person is just going to help you determine, you know, what kind of study do you need to answer that really awesome question? Can you do it with existing data that we've collected from like your EPCRs or do you need a survey or maybe, you know, you need a prospective study where we go out and collect this data because it's not getting collected today. So having that person on your team is really key. Uh, And then the next step from there is what I call the zeroth draft. And that's essentially where you write the methods in the results section of a paper before you ever collect data. And why do we do this? It makes no sense. It makes a lot of sense, actually, because with huge data sets like we have today, it's so easy to go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole. But if you do the zeroth draft where you literally write the results of your of your paper without any numbers, you just say there were X patients included in the study. X percent were female. X percent had my outcome of interest. By making yourself do that, you have a very focused and clear story that you're going to be able to fill in with your data. So that sets you up for success. Uh, And then once you have that piece, you get with your statistician and you get some results. This is the fun part, right? We dig into the data. And from there, we summarize all of those awesome things that we found in the data that relate back to our hypothesis and our objective in an abstract. So an abstract is like the elevator pitch for your paper, if you will. It's like a 350-word summary. Escalator pitch, if you don't mind. (laughs) An escalator pitch. Thank you. You can do it on an escalator. (laughs) I love it. So yeah, you get into 350 words, which sounds a lot easier than it actually is to trim that down into that concise space. But that's what gets submitted to like a conference, like what you mentioned, seeing Dave Page at probably the International Scientific Symposium at EMS World Expo. Uh, That gets reviewed by external reviewers and they're blind. They don't know who wrote the paper or anything like that. Uh, And then if you are lucky, you get your project accepted for either a podium presentation, meaning that you give an oral presentation to an audience or for a poster presentation where you get to share that research. Uh, And then from there, we can go on and on. But the next step would be to take it to a full peer reviewed manuscript where the findings stay published and anyone can read them. And and I just have to say that you are one of the only people I know who can make statistical analysis sound as much fun as a trip to Italy. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, what's not fun about statistics? Right? Yeah. Your session, I, I just have to take us back to Refresh 2021, Remley, where you did this, let's talk about how we decode, it was the sort of Da, Vin- da Vinci decode of statistics and data and research. And it was one of the most commented on that uh, actually I can now relate to what this is all about. Um, sadly, of course, we've now sunsetted uh, Refresh, but even so, there's an opportunity for you to, you know, reveal open the doors on on this because actually the way that you explain it and the excitement with which you explain it is infectious and uh, you know well, more and more people should, should be joining really, in. I think that's a really important piece though is this making statistics less intimidating. I mean I can tell you that throughout high school I considered myself to be one of these I'm just not a math person 
and I got to college and, you know, I got into calculus and oh, I'm just not a math person. And I said that in front of my professor and she sat me down and she says, whoa, why do you keep saying that? Like, did you get a problem wrong? Yeah. And she's like, but do you understand why it's wrong? Yeah. Okay, then you're a math person. You're fine. Like, stop with that anxiety around math. You can do this. And so her words really turned it around for me. And I was like, never did I think I would get a PhD in statistics, but here we are, right? So I think that's a really key piece of this is that you don't have to have a PhD in statistics to do research. You just have to assemble a good project team. And you know, you, this is a really important piece is to have field clinicians in particular. So I love that Mike brought up the pre-hospital care research form because that is the mission. And that mission is living on is to bring those who are actually living this process into the research world. It doesn't have to be so scary and boring. I, I have to jump in with a dad joke at that point. You got a PhD in statistics. What are the odds of that? Exactly. <laughs> I think we're all here till Friday, then we're all at Eagles. Before we go any further, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, if you are enjoying the show, please give us a five-star rating on the platform that you are listening on. Also, we're just going to have a message from our sponsor, Lexapol. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back. I am with two amazing guests that, uh, of course, these people need no introduction, but I'll give them an introduction, uh, Mike Tegman and Dr. Remley Crow. And uh, one of the things we're all going to get up to at the end of July is we're going to be at Pinnacle. And that takes place, by the way, from the 25th to the 29th of July on San Marco Island in Florida. And EMS One, I'm delighted to say, is the primary or the premier media partner. Let's get that right. And we're all going to be in the shark tank. And so, Mike, you did that with me last year. And so I'll let you blow our trumpet. What was it all about? And what were the takeaways? It's, it's so much fun. And it's a, it is a, a takeoff on the, on the TV show where uh, entrepreneurs come and uh, pitch their ideas uh, to hopefully get uh, funded by venture capitalists to take their idea and product to market. Um, we, uh, we have a, a group of, uh, uh, us that sit in, uh, uh, Dr. Crow and we've got, uh, Dr. Uh, Joel D'Onofrio. Um, we've got Dr. Ed Rock. Uh, we've got Tom Judge, Rob Lawrence and myself sitting in as the sharks and, uh, members of the audience. We, uh, we basically give them, uh, issues that need to be addressed in the EMS world. You know, things like wall time. Um, staffing issues, the kinds of things that you uh, read and hear about kind of all the time these days, and um, walk them through some, uh, some creativity uh, exercises, and then they work as teams to develop innovative solutions um, to whatever the issues are, and then they present them to those of us that are sharks. We give them feedback, <coughs> ratings, and then uh, this year, the winner um, who has the best innovation will uh, present at the main general session as part of the Pinnacle Conference. So, Remily, that's the lowdown. Are you ready? Oh, is that what I signed up for? Oh. Yes, it is. 
it's I am gonna, ready. It's gonna be it's gonna be great fun. And I have to, to to name drop Ed Rock said last year that it was quite simply the best conference session he's ever attended. So no pressure on all of us. Uh, I mean, my it, session was going on at the same time last year, though, so... Oh, well, that's why we recruited you in, so there's no competition, you see. That was our cunning plan. Um, it's, called, some... it's called conference scheduling Aikido, as we brought her into the fold. Yes, you know, if you can't beat them, have them join you. There we are, that was what we were doing. Um, but but let, let, let's carry on with the discussion for a second. Let's go back to some active research and some active work that's ongoing, and that's that old... Um, three-letter acronym, RLS, Mike, Red Lights and Sirens. What's the latest there? <laughs> so this is actually not a research project. This is an improvement project, and it's the first ever uh, nationwide EMS collaborative performance improvement project where we are uh, using the Institute for Healthcare Improvement's Breakthrough Series model um, and have recruited 50 EMS agencies from uh, across the U.S. and a couple in Canada um, to all work together to decrease um, the use of licensed sirens for uh, response and for transport as a uh, strategy to improve safety for crews, for patients, and for the, the general public um, that um, suffer the, the consequences of vehicle crashes. I just I, I saw two in the, in the news this morning. Um, uh, vehicle crashes that caused injuries, no deaths in either one of these, um, from uh, EMS uh, vehicles running lights and siren, and um, basically taking the scientific evidence, which has shown that um, using lights and sirens saves very little time, two to three and a half minutes kind of tops, um, that um, within the uh, first 10 minutes uh, after arrival, um, uh, a look with um, uh, at the ESO data set. Thank you, Remley, for uh, for allowing us to look at that. Uh, Jeff Jarvis led uh, uh, a project where we uh, looked at, I don't know, four and a half million um, uh, 911 calls uh, to assess uh, what percentage of these had potentially life-saving interventions implemented within the first 10 minutes after arrival, uh, 10 minutes being generous since license sirens only saves up to two and a half to three and a half minutes. Um, and less than 7% of the cases had a potentially life-saving uh, intervention, and our definition of potentially life-saving was pretty broad. Um, so we, we do it a lot. We put a lot of people at risk, and there's very little benefit for it. So we're working on kind of right-sizing that across the country. Um, of our 50 uh, systems that uh, joined us uh, starting in January, um, we've got, I think, nine of them at this point in time that have made uh, measurable, meaningful improvements so far. And uh, we're getting together with all of them at the end of this month uh, to take it to the, to the next level. And we have hired a new project manager who is going to be poking and prodding and helping uh, facilitate all of them uh, to make this meaningful change. So you fell into my cunning plan because whilst you were doing improvement, I got a funny feeling there is either d uh, data or tacos in there somewhere. So it's going to be uh, slightly. Remley is nodding sagely there, um, <laughs> but but where where I draw those these two things together is that if we're doing a research project and producing a peer reviewed paper, if we're doing an imp an improvement project because we want to re reduce, for example, lights and sirens, what we must be careful though is that this isn't just an exercise in feeding the beast. We produce the paper and then that's that. We have to be able to use these things to go forward to make changes to convince those that 
purchase, procure, commission, buy, own EMS, that something needs to change. And so how can we go from, dare I say, you know, some organisations have had 100 years of tradition and some people use their guts, instead of research, peer-reviewed, academic evidence. And so how can we take what you guys are producing and turn it into tangible action? I think that, you know, research and quality improvement go hand in hand, but it is important to talk a little bit about the distinction. So when it comes to research, we're testing a hypothesis. We're looking for new knowledge. So, you know, if we don't know which stroke scale is the best to use, we can test the stroke scales against each other and see is one of them performing a little bit better than the other. Uh, But when it comes to improvement science, that's when we have a known standard of care. The research has told us this is probably the best way of doing things. And back to the stroke example, we know that performing a stroke assessment is better than performing no stroke assessment. So we can use quality improvement and improvement science to help us make sure that we are recording a full stroke assessment when we suspect stroke, independent of which one that is. Uh, So the the thing that I would say is if you're thinking about looking at a research paper and implementing that at your system, pay really close attention to what was the study setting. And Mike knows I love to talk about the parachute study and we can bring that up, but it's really, (laughs) I mean, it's the best study, but it's really important to think about, well, are these findings likely to be reproduced in my system or was the system where these were tested out really different from mine? And then you can use an improvement science approach to say, well, I'm going to test this out in my system and see if I get the results I'm expecting, but test it small first before you just roll something out to the whole agency. Well, hang on, we're going to come back to, you you almost got to PDSA there, but go back. Let's pretend that we don't know what your parachute study or analogy is. So for Uh, the folk out there, we're obviously standing in the door of an aircraft here, aren't we? What's 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 the what's the story? So you know, we know that the gold standard in research is a randomized controlled trial, right? And that's the way that you tell whether or not an intervention works or doesn't work. So in the BMJ recently, there was an article published that was testing out: Hey, do parachutes even save lives and prevent injuries? You would think we don't need a randomized controlled trial, but we did one. So, uh, you know, they got some volunteers, healthy volunteers to jump out of an airplane with a backpack full of air or with a backpack full of parachute. Now, the participants didn't know which one they got. They just had to jump out of the airplane and hope for the best, right? Well, the results of the study came in and they're published. Anybody can go look these up. And they found out that there was no difference between the parachute and the not parachute group. So those who jumped out of the airplane with the backpack full of air suffered the same amount of injuries and death as those who jumped out of the airplane with the parachute. What's the catch? Plane was on the ground. Um, Parachute packing failure rate was about 1.5%. And if you're somebody who jumps with a parachute and there's going to be thousands of jumps, that's that's an unacceptably high failure rate for parachutes. So they went through using improvement science a number of different tests to try to improve the quality of parachute packing. And the one change idea uh, that they did was they uh, had the parachute packers um, uh, be given a random parachute from the pile of packed parachutes, and they all had to jump before the soldiers. And by making that shift in the process, the failure rate went to zero and stayed that way for the rest of the war. Um, And when when you think about in medicine, between where there's a preponderance of scientific evidence, where there's been a research study that has been replicated to show that, you know, administering aspirin early in the course of an acute cardiac event 
<coughs> improves outcome, improves results. Um, and when the vast majority of patients in the world get the benefit of that scientific knowledge, the gap in that, and there's a, there's a study that analyzed this gap, it was, it's, it's 17 years between when there's a preponderance of the evidence and most people get the benefit of the new knowledge. So improvement science is one of the ways to close that gap. So when there's good science, making sure the majority of patients get it. And, and I will tell you that EMS systems, you know, many of them live in the fantasy that they're doing great work. Some of them are doing great work. Um, but when you actually look at what's actually being performed on the front line for a number of different cases, the, the reliability of reproducing what the medical directors and clinical leaders of the system think is the best possible care with the patients who are getting the care, you know, there's a, there's in most places, there's a gap between those, those two places and improvement science, you know, is the framework to improve that for everybody. And the goal is to improve results. How can we translate this into very, very simple terms in order to go back to those that we need to influence that things have to change? And I'm thinking about, you know, elected officials, particularly, uh, we want to slow our vehicles. Maybe that's the wrong choice of words, but we want to make sure that we get to the, the, the scene of the call in, at an appropriate speed and with considerable safety. How do we take all of this academic work and turn it into something that our elected officials will understand? Because that's how change will occur in a lot of places. When I, when I work with uh, folks who are elected and in positions of power, I start, start with their interests. What are you primarily interested in? And when it comes to the Lights and Sirens Project, you're interested in um, the health and safety of your constituents, all of your constituents, and you're interested in getting reelected. Um, absolutely true. Um, so starting off by saying, you know, what, what we know is that, you know, lights and sirens have, have caused crashes and they caused crashes involving the emergency vehicles themselves. And there's probably a higher number of what we call weight crashes, where you go through an intersection and somebody crashes behind you because of the disruption that's caused by you going through <coughs> a red light with your emergency vehicle on it. So there's that piece. And then talking about, you know, from the, from the resuscitation perspective, from the saving lives perspective, um, you know, here's, here's what the data shows on the 911 calls in our town, in our county, in our community. And here's the percentage of them that are really minor issues. My acne has been itching for five years and I just can't take it anymore. And I'm drunk at 3 a.m. So I call 911 or I sprained my ankle on the soccer field. Um, and, and then there's a handful of them, you know, that are cardiac arrests that are obstructed airways that are hemorrhaging femoral arteries from gunshot wounds. Um, but that's, that's less than 10% and significantly less than 10% in almost every EMS system where we've looked at the data. Um, so we're still going to run lights and sirens to those people who really need a time dependent intervention. We're going to get there quick and we're going to take care of those. But for the other ones, we're going to decrease the use of lights and sirens to protect everybody else in the community from injuries, death, and damage to their property from these preventable crashes. So far, we've actually gone from research. We've then transitioned into improvement science, taking Remedy's research and Mike 
turning it into a tangible, achievable thing. And then we've talked about how we seal the deal, convince the politicians and make the change. So that's all pretty cool. We're nearly on time. Looking forward to next week, or when this goes out this week, of course, Eagles is on. And uh, the great Eagle himself, Jim Augustine, is probably going to present his top five or top ten research projects of the year and also some of them which we should perhaps disregard because there's also that piece as well but Remy from the last 12 months I mean what have been the standout pieces of research for you? Oh that's tough. We ask tough questions here. Yeah I don't know that I have a list right off the bat of the standout ones and it really depends on you know what are the problems that you're dealing with at the local level in terms of you know which ones we need to be reading but um we do a journal club podcast with the pre-hospital care research forum, and we've reviewed some really excellent papers this year. And one of the ones I'm really excited about that is coming up is from Dr. Sriram Ram- Ramgapal and Dr. Jennifer Fish. And what they did was they looked at whether or not um, socioeconomic status has to do with pediatric EMS utilization. So it's kind of like an episode of Mythbusters with data, which is really exciting, and that we're starting to link our EMS data to things like social determinants of health and putting, you know, what can we do as EMS clinicians, because we're in a really unique environment, we should appreciate that, to act upstream and prevent injury and illness. So, um, like I said, I, there's so many papers this year. I don't know that I could just pick a quick list. That was an amazing answer. And uh, next week, of course, we'll catch up with uh, Jim Augustine and we'll ask him the same question. Mike? The most exciting research study I've seen has nothing to do with EMS. Sloan Kettering uh, published uh, uh, today a study of uh, 18 patients with uh, rectal cancer uh, that were uh, treated with a new medication. And 100% of this group had total uh, remission of their cancer. Studies too small, but it did hit the New England Journal of Medicine and um, has got the oncology world um, all a Twitter uh, to, to expand this and uh, replicate it. It's the, the drug is uh, dosara limb. Um, and uh, of course, we can't take a study on 18 people and start administering this everywhere, but it uh, it foreshadows uh, some potential exciting news. That's all been amazing information. And uh, of course, you can catch all of us live, plus a few others, uh, as Mike had mentioned earlier, at Pinnacle in uh, July 25th to the 29th at Marco Island, Florida, where I'm sure we're going to have fun and it's going to be informative and there's going to be a ton of takeaways. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, EMS One, as I said, is the premier media partner for that. But between now and then, where can we see you? How can we follow you? How can we get in touch, Remley? I am on Twitter, at RP Crow, and I think I do that LinkedIn thing as well. Well, I'll cut in and say, me too. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, at UKRobel1. What's your handle, Remley? At RP Crow. We all know where you live and how to get hold of you, Mike, but how do we do that? Um, I am also on uh, Twitter, at uh, M Tegman. And on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and my cell number is 510-593-5730. If anybody wants to uh, uh, text cat and dog pictures to me, um, that stuff is all legal. Um, And uh, you'll find me at at many, if not most, of the EMS conferences around. Anywhere you go to, Mike Tegman will pop up. I can guarantee that because not only is there a real Mike Tegman, there's also a cardboard cutout 
that we've all been photographed with. So when Mike isn't there, look out for the for the flat Stanley version of Tegman. So uh, you're everywhere, Mike, and, and we really love to see you in person or in card. That's about all for now. This has been a Shark Tank edition of the EMS One Stop. And uh, thank you both for coming along. And uh, as I say, I'm looking forward to seeing you both live. Remley, I'll see you at Eagles, I'm sure. Uh, Mike, I'll see you sometime. I know we're going to be on a webcast, a webinar, a Zoom call, a Hollywood Square. Before you know it, it's just going to happen, right? But for now, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you. So that was another edition of VMS One Stop. As always, I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.